Happy New Year, community of faith. It's good to see you in 2021. It's good to be in 2021. Um, I hope you had a good holiday. Hope you had some downtime. Hope you got to eat a little bit extra to make up for all the food that you're not eating now um, as you uh, work on those New Year's resolutions. Uh, I saw a tweet yesterday and the guy said, man, I am winning in 2021. He said, I am only two days behind on all of my New Year's resolutions. And uh, he said, I never could make that statement all of last year. Um, it, it, it's, it's been a good holiday. It was a good break. Um, Longhorns won. Aggies won. So we're, uh, we're doing okay. Cowboys won. Texans, we're, we're going to pull one out today, right? Um, Mark and Laura are, are not here today, as you uh, can tell. They are um, actually at home uh, recovering from COVID. Um, they actually were exposed to COVID with some family uh, earlier in the week, uh, but they are doing great. They, they, have not show, they have not suffered from any significant complications from it and are already on the mend. And uh, so we're thankful for that. I know a lot of you have been praying for that, uh, but I'm excited about today. Um, you know, last year, there were some bizarre things that took place. Uh, one of them was Mike Tyson fought again. And nobody lost an ear in the ring. And so uh, to start our time together today, I thought it would be fitting to quote Mike Tyson to kind of get us going in a direction that I want us to be thinking today. And Mike Tyson said this, he was getting ready for a fight and he was being interviewed about his opponent. And he made this statement. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's so true. You know, as soon as we begin to experience some sort of disorientation, uh, some sort of confusion, all the things that we had planned for, all the things that we expected, all the steps that we anticipated that we take, all of a sudden get kind of thrown up in the air. We find ourselves trying to figure out what in the world do we do next? And um, I know for us, for you, for me, maybe we haven't been in a fight since we were in elementary or middle school, but really what Mike Tyson said today is true for us because last year didn't go anything like we thought it would. Um, It was a year for some that was a good year overall. Uh, For others, it was a difficult year. Uh, For some, it was a tragic year and a, a year of incredible difficulty, but for every single one of us, it was a year of disruption. It was a year where we kind of took a punch and all of a sudden we were all experiencing some level of disorientation, trying to navigate life. You know, it's funny, I was thinking back to about this time last year, uh, we kicked off a sermon series and I started week one and I walked out on the platform and I made the statement, 2020, this is the year that we go for the win. And as you reflect back, you maybe don't look at 2020 and think, man, 2020 was a year that I was winning but uh, I think we can take what we've learned in 2020 and begin to look ahead in the days ahead and find some strength. And that's what I want for you today. That's what I want for myself is I want this to be a year where we are stronger. So how do we accomplish that? How do we get stronger in the new year? I wanna talk about that today. And it's simply this, this two words. This is a, the sermon in two words, simply pray more. Just pray more. You're like, okay, Wes, I expect you to say that. You work at a church, you're a pastor, you're on staff. But what would it look like for us to pray more? I've got another quote up here for someone that may be a little more credible than Mike Tyson when we think about conversations in church. Martin Luther King Jr. says this. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. He uses the metaphor of breathing. And what he's saying is, he's saying that, 
um, in order to live the Christian life, we've got to understand that prayer is like breathing for humans. It's essential. It's essential to experience the life that God wants us to have. And I think in a year where we're walking through a pandemic that leaves people struggling to have adequate levels of oxygen in their lungs, they begin to experience weakness. They begin to experience disorientation. They begin to struggle to do the most simple things. It's a perfect metaphor for us to begin to consider what our prayer life looks like. Because what Martin Luther King Jr. would tell us is that it's essential that we can't have any strength in this relationship and this walk with Jesus without prayer. And so I want us to kind of press into that. And I want us to begin to understand what that would look like for our lives. So I want to look at a passage in Mark chapter 14. If you uh, don't have your Bible with you, you can find the sermon notes. You can go to cof.church and there's a box on there that says sermon notes. You can click those. You can kind of follow along with those notes, take notes on those chronically, get your notes app out. Keep, keep notes. Maybe you're still old school like me and you want to write everything down. But I believe that today, if we could put this plan into place, that we will get to the end of this year stronger. Stronger individually, stronger in our relationships, stronger as a church to experience all that God has for us in this year. And so to give a little bit of context, Jesus has just finished the last supper with his disciples in the upper room. He's predicted his betrayal. He's predicted his arrest. He's predicted the crucifixion that is on its way. And then he heads to the garden of Gethsemane. And this is a real crisis for Jesus. This is a moment where Jesus is struggling. He is experiencing incredible tension and pressure. And in this incredible struggle, I think we see some things. He models some things for us that we can put into practice today, that we can put into practice right now in this moment where we find ourselves. And so let's look at what it says in this first passage. It says, they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And he began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but this is extreme. And in this incredible extreme moment of crisis for Jesus, fully God, fully human, what does he do? He goes to a place, but he invites others to pray with him. You notice he's taking some people with him, but he's inviting others to pray with them. That's the first step that I think we need to pay attention to today. I think there's something credible to this that we need to pay attention to, that we can grow and be stronger in the new year. The first step that we can take is that we can invite others to pray with us. What would that look like for you? You know, Jesus didn't do this just this one time. This was something that he did on a consistent basis. You see this when he goes to heal Jairus' daughter, he takes some of the disciples with him. When he goes to the Mount of Transfiguration, he takes Peter, James, and John with them. They were his support. They were his his closest companions. He wanted them around him. He was teaching them some things, but he's showing us the value of these relationships around us. You've probably experienced some of these times in your own life where you've walked through some incredibly difficult days. And you've recognized because you've had the support, the value of that support 
Or maybe you've recognized not having that support and how valuable it would be if you had the support of some others rallied around you. I think back to some instances in my life. I think back to when my uh, parents walked through a divorce and that was a time that shook me up. It was a time that I was confused. I was disoriented. I was struggling to understand everything that was going on in a time of crisis. And I remember speaking and communicating and rallying some of my closest friends around me, friends that are still friends today, decades later. But they didn't just rally around me to hang out with me and spend time with me. There's value in that. But the real value with that group of friends was that they were praying for me. They were praying with me. And I found strength in that. It helped me be stronger, not the strongest, but strong enough to make it through some of those difficult days. I think back to 2018 when my wife was walking through her journey with cancer and um, how many people rallied around us, not just to tell us, hey, we, we got you or we're, we're standing with you or we've got your back, but they would rally around us and they were praying going to God on our behalf, praying with us. You know, for some of us, we need to experience that in 2021. There's so much power in being with each other, specifically praying with one another. You know, it's one thing for me to walk in the hall and see you out here and you say, hey, I need you to pray for me. Me say, hey, I'll pray for you this week. But there's something different when we rally together and I say, hey, I'm not just gonna pray for you this week. Let's pray right now. I wanna pray with you in this moment. There is strength that we experience in that. And it's not strength from me or from you. God works in that and Jesus models that. You've heard us say this over and over at Community of Faith. The best version of you exists in a community. Who is your community? Who are your closest companions? I didn't make this up. I've said this over and over. I've heard this many times, but I've heard oftentimes someone say something like this, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. Because the people that you are surrounding yourself with the most are going to influence where you go. They're gonna influence how your life looks. Jesus in this moment of crisis brings his closest companions with him to pray in this moment. Don't delay on this. Don't rob yourself of the strength that is available to you as you surround yourself with people who love you and love God and will pray with you in every moment of your life. Not only do you not wanna rob yourself of that, but don't rob other people. You may be the catalyst of strength in someone else's life as you draw close to them and pray with them as they navigate these days. There's so much strength here. And maybe you're in a place this morning where you're maybe watching online or you're sitting in the room today and you think, man, I, I don't have that kind of people around me. I don't have anyone close to me that I can call on and say, hey, I need you to pray with me because I'm struggling. You can find that at Community of Faith. And I know that this is a big place and maybe you're in a place where you're uh, separated and you're watching online because of all that this is, all that's going on and all the implications of COVID but you can still take some steps today to connect with some people, to be intentional, to bring some people around you to pray with you. You can text BEST YOU, B-E-S-T-Y-O-U to 97,000. You can just check the boxes on there. You can go to starting point in a couple of weeks and find out what it looks like to get really connected here and to invest in healthy relationships with other people who love you and love God. Don't delay on this step. It might be the most important step you take this year. It's interesting as the story goes on, not only does Jesus invite these guys to pray with them in this moment, he invites them to pray while he kind of 
removes himself just a little bit from where they are, but he's still in close proximity. But I think he shows us the next step that we can take. In order to be stronger in the new year, not only do we invite others to pray with us, but we pray like Jesus prayed. We pray like Jesus prayed. What would that look like? What would it look like to pray like Jesus prays? You know, it's interesting in Christian circles in our world, we have some interesting prayers that we pray. Oftentimes we'll pray prayers where we'll say something like, God, we just want you to be with us. I mean, I'm guilty of this. I'll, I'll stand even on a platform like this and pray in a gathering similar to this and say, God, would you just be with us? Would you just meet with us? And in a lot of ways, if you kind of remove yourself from that, that's exactly what he accomplished with Jesus. That's what, he, that's what the gospel of Jesus is all about. Jesus came to be with us so that we could be with him forever. And then he promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we're praying for something that he's already accomplished for us. We already have that. We pray things like, help me pass this test. God, I need you right now in this moment. Help me pass this test. And I'm not sure that that's the main thing that we need to be praying for. What maybe God is saying in that moment is saying, hey, maybe, maybe you should um, use that brain and all that wisdom that I created in your skull and study instead of asking me to miraculously transfer all of this information to you in this crunch moment. Or we pray prayers like, God, would you bless this food? as you're sitting at a table with a half pound cheeseburger with four slabs of bacon and mayonnaise and ketchup and avocado. And I mean, everybody said amen and amen to that because that is good. And then you got your supersized French fries. You're like, God bless this food. He's like, uh, you know, if you eat some broccoli, it's got a built-in blessing that you don't even have to ask for. Maybe have a little side of that. Or maybe we pray this, God, we just pray for traveling mercies. What is that? What are traveling mercies? Maybe, maybe it's God's way of saying, hey, here's, here's your traveling mercies. Wear your seatbelt. Drive the speed limit. Okay, you can go five miles over because you don't get a ticket for that. So drive the speed limit. Stop speeding through the school zones and put your phone down while you're driving. There's your traveling mercies. It forces us to ask the question, really, what is prayer? Because I think sometimes we minimize prayer and we pray these simple shallow, somewhat insignificant prayers. What is prayer? Is it talking to God? Well, yeah, I, th- I think it is. It's, it's a connection with our heavenly father. Is it demanding something from him? Sometimes aligning our will to God's will, feeling like we've got to wrestle with God to kind of find out what his will is. There's some of that that's probably true. Is it wishful thinking towards God's direction where we maybe see somebody going through a difficult time and we say, hey man, my thoughts and prayers are for you. So we're, we're wishful thinking into a situation, hopeful that God's going to work. Is that what prayer is? That, that could be part of it. It could be a combination of all of these things, but we need to understand this because misinterpretation leads us to misapplication. I read a story a couple of weeks ago about a, a guy who sent his mother, she loved birds, and he sent her a $10,000 parrot for Mother's Day. Now this parrot could speak 40 different languages and could sing hymns from the old school church hymn books. And so he sent this to her and he was kind of excited and anxious to hear back from her and several days went by and he never heard anything. He was like, man, what is going on? So he finally called her and he's like, hey mom, just checking on you. She's like, oh, you know, she's excited and He's like, hey, did you, did you get the bird? And she goes, oh my gosh, yes, I loved it. And he said, well, what was your favorite part? And she said, the thighs. And 
in that moment, he's like, no, 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 mom, you don't, you don't understand. But wrong interpretation can lead to wrong application. I think it's important for us to understand what does a healthy prayer look like? And in this moment, Jesus, in this brief prayer that we're about to read, he models for us the prayer that he taught his disciples how to pray with. He models it in a simple, not so super elegant moment. He, he models for us what our prayers can look like on the daily basis, on our own, by ourselves, and with each other. And so I want us to begin to understand and unpack this. But look what he, look what he says Look what it says in verse 35. It says this. It says, and he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began praying that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. So you see, you feel the heaviness of this moment. This is intense. And it says, and he was saying, and he's praying in this moment. And he says, Abba, Father. Man, there's, there's so much emotion and heartache and struggle in that. You just sense that, you feel it. He says, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, such a simple prayer, but such a powerful prayer. A prayer that I think we can begin to model in our own lives. But what I want us to think about for a second is that this isn't the only time we read about Jesus praying in his time on this earth. He consistently prayed. He consistently made it a point to find himself alone at certain times of the day to spend time praying to his heavenly father. Before he broke bread and the fish and the feeding of the 5,000, he prayed. Before he raised Lazarus back to life, he prayed. He prayed for his disciples before sending them out. He prayed from the cross. This was a consistent part of the life of Jesus. Jesus cultivated a healthy prayer life over a significant amount of time so that when he found himself in a crisis, when he found himself in a place where it felt like maybe he was getting punched in the mouth, he had already cultivated something of strength, something that could help him navigate an incredibly difficult situation. I think it's important for us to understand that he's not just talking about, and I don't want us just to think about this as prayers for how to navigate living in a fallen world, navigating all the things that start with the letter D, death, disease, discouragement, divorce, destruction, Dallas Cowboys, whatever you want to add into that. But this is not the only thing that I want us to think about. It's not the only perspective I want us to have. I don't want us just to think about how do we get through some difficult circumstances that go on in our life. But I think even more so is to go a little bit deeper than this. Because I think where we can really begin to apply this and find real strength is when we begin to understand that there are going to be times in our lives, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, whether you're watching online or you're sitting in the room today, there will be times you will experience suffering because of your faithfulness to God. Because of your devotion to God, there are going to be times that you walk into and find yourself in a very difficult, uncomfortable situation. So what do we do in those? I mean, some of you are experiencing that. Some of you are experiencing that as you are living in a prolonged season of singleness because of your faith in God and because your trust in his plans for your life, you're not settling for something that you know is not God's best for you. You're letting him define your sexuality and you are trusting his plans and his purposes for your life. And you find yourself in a place of loneliness 
and it's difficult. Maybe you've missed out on an opportunity to take the dream job because you weren't willing to compromise your integrity because you know that that's not God's best for you. But it leaves you in a place where there are times where you're like, man, I, I really, things would be better if I would just go ahead and jump into that. But because of your faith, you're choosing to try to stay strong in who God is calling you to be. Do we see this? This is what's happening with Jesus. This is what Jesus is experiencing. And in this moment where he's experiencing this difficulty, he begins to pray. And I wanna show you four parts to this that you can put into practice today. You can put into practice this week. Our team is gonna be live on Facebook every morning this week, modeling this for each other so that we can really get a good grasp on what this looks like. I didn't come up with this. This is not original for me. You've probably heard this before if you've been around church for very long at all, but it's the ACTS model of prayer, A-C-T-S. And it's, each one of those letters stands for a word. And if we begin to model this in our life, I believe, I believe we begin to find strength. And Jesus does this in his prayer. The first thing he does in this moment where he's overwhelmed, where he calls out to God and he says, Abba, Father, he starts off in a place of adoration. The A stands for adoration. It's helping us frame our mind and focus our attention to the one that we're talking to. Do you know who I am? Do you know who you are talking to? I mean, think back to when you were a kid. Anybody ever tell you that? Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who you're messing with? And maybe that sounds like a rebuke or maybe that sounds like uh, something where somebody's trying to correct you and I don't think that's the intent. When I think about adoration, it's not that at all. Just a couple weeks ago, I was home and my oldest, uh, he was wrestling through something that he was just frustrated with that he had done. He, he, was, he was bothered by it. When I found out about it, I went and started talking to him and he got real uncomfortable. And he's like, I, and I was like, dude, why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you tell me? And he said, like, because I thought you were gonna be mad at me. I didn't want you to be mad at me. And I'm like, dude, do you, do you know who I am? Like, dude, I, I love you. I care about you. We can talk about anything because I'm your dad and I, I love you. I'm crazy about you. And it's the same mindset. When we think about approaching our heavenly father, Jesus models this for us. It's this model of adoration. Notice what Jesus does. He starts with Abba, Father. And you translate that into what it would sound like in American culture. What he's saying, he's saying, Daddy. It's this incredible label of intimacy and closeness. In a moment where God would feel like the enemy because God's fixing to allow Jesus to lose his life. He calls out to his heavenly father and he says, Daddy, what would it look like for us to begin to do that? To begin to adore our heavenly father, to begin to recognize the characteristics about our heavenly father, to begin to call out the names of God and begin to understand what that means for us. This isn't, this isn't uh, simple. This isn't this quick little like, hey, God, you're good. It's specific. It's close. It's intimate. But as we step into prayer, adoration sets the tone for our time of connection with our heavenly father. It reminds us who we're talking to. It reminds us who he is. We're praising him for his holiness, for his unconditional love, for his gentleness, 
for his compassion. We're thinking, we're, we're, we're looking to him and we're recognizing all that there is to recognize. And this is specific, not general. It's so easy to skip over this and just say, I'm not gonna, I, I need to get to the things about me. But in this moment, you sit and you just begin to think specifically about the things of God. As you read your Bible and you're, you're jumping into that new Bible reading plan in 2021, as you're reading verses, look for things that tell you things about God, about your heavenly father, recognize them and then call those out to him. I joked last week, I, I taught the message that was online for the, the service after Christmas. And um, I joked about the story about um, telling my wife that her new haircut looked good. And that's kind of where I stopped. And if you didn't watch that, I'll catch you up. Um, fellas, if, if I tell you that something looks good, then it looks good and you're okay with that. That's an adequate comment to make to a fellow man. But to a woman, if you just say it looks okay or it looks good or it looks fine, in her mind, she's interpreting that as average mediocre. She wasted her money. She needs to wear a hat for the next three months. What she's anticipating and expecting you to say to her is not that, hey, you look good. What she's wanting you to say to her, she's wanting you to say, hey, hey, babe, listen, you are beautiful. Your hair, oh my goodness, it is so fine. I mean, I, listen, I don't even know why you wear makeup. I mean, you are gorgeous. Your eyes, your, your nose, your, your teeth. I mean, everything about you is just amazing. I mean, you want to get really spiritual in this. Go to Song of Solomon chapter four and just start reading that to your wife. And some, of your, some of the men are taking notes for the first time in years. They're like, okay, I need to, I need to do this. this. This could be good. I mean, Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter four, he, says, he starts to describe his bride. It's this moment of intimacy and closeness. He says, your eyes are like doves, your hair like flocks of goats. Okay, maybe that doesn't translate well in 2021. (laughs) Teeth like baby sheep, lips like scarlet thread, mouth is lovely. And I gotta stop there to keep it PG for the room today. But do you see this? I mean, think about this. Think about the relationships you're closest to. When you're specific, It cultivates an intimacy. It cultivates a closeness. And every single one of us in this room long for that with our heavenly father. We long for a closeness from the one who created everything from nothing, who gave air in our lungs to breathe and live this life. We desire this closeness. And Jesus in this moment of turmoil and crisis, he says, Abba, Father. It's a moment of adoration. It's an expression of closeness to his heavenly father. And we can participate in the same thing. But there's something interesting that happens when we begin to do this that leads us to our second place. When you begin to understand who he is, you begin to wrap your mind around that, regardless of what you're going through in life, as you begin to do that, it naturally leads you to a place of confession. It leads us to a place of confession where we begin to agree with the things of God that are true for our lives and everything that doesn't match up becomes obvious. It becomes apparent because it can't exist with his goodness. You know, one of the things that I struggle with as a pastor uh, with being on staff at a church and I've lived to just adapt and, and understand it and expect it. But anytime that I show up to a place where uh, the people there are not super familiar, familiar with me and we don't have any sort of close relationship, but they know that I'm a pastor. The moment that I walk into the room, everybody changes. They change the way they talk. Whatever they've got in their hand, they kind of just put it behind their back. 
And I'm like, oh no, is this okay? Is this right? I go to his church. And I think that's a little bit of what I want us to think about as we begin to understand, not because I'm in the room, because it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I'm in no place to judge you or to condemn you or try to, try, to, try to look down and shame you because that's not what my role is all about. I'm just a guy who happens to be on staff at a church who loves teaching and leading people to this person named Jesus Christ. And I am just as flawed and messed up and dysfunctional as every single one of us in the room. So don't look at me as the example, as the model. Let's look to Jesus. And as we look and we begin to focus our attention on our Heavenly Father, we naturally begin to see the things in our lives that he wants to correct in our lives, not because he wants to wreck us, but because he wants us to experience freedom. And as we begin to understand this, we begin to confess, we begin to understand that he has something better for us. And we begin to shift. It starts with adoration. We find ourselves in a place a confession, because we understand that he's our heavenly father. And if he's our heavenly father, then I am his son and you are his daughter. You are his son because he is compassionate for us, because he is gentle with us, because he loves us, because he created us, because he did everything that needed to be done to forgive us and give us a second chance. I want to be close and I trust that his ways are better than my ways. And so I want to rid my life of anything that's not of him. It happens when we begin to pray these prayers of confession. So for you this week, as you transition from adoration to confession, just sit there in that moment of you, as you focused on God and begin to write down the things that God is calling out in your minds, in your life, that maybe he wants to shift out, that he wants to prune away. Just write those down and begin to say, okay, God, I, I, yeah, I, I get this. This is, this is not your best for me which leads us to the third part of Jesus's prayer. It's the third part of the way that we can pray. It's Thanksgiving. As we begin to adore God for who he is and we get overwhelmed with who he is and the characteristics of him, it leads us to a place of confession. And we be, when we begin to confess, we begin to recognize that he did everything necessary so that we could continue to have a relationship with him. We experience forgiveness and grace and mercy, and it leads us naturally to a place of thanksgiving. Giving. Jesus does this in this prayer. It's an incredible expression of faith in the middle of this incredible crisis for Jesus. And understand, this is not something empty. This is not something passive. It's anchored in everything that he's seen God do because he was there in the beginning. I mean, he watched God create everything. He watched God create the earth and the universe and the galaxies from nothing. He saw this happen. He watched God fulfill his promises all throughout the Old Testament. He watched God build a nation from Abraham. He watched God rescue his people from the slavery of Egypt. He watched miracle after miracle after miracle, and he knows that nothing is impossible for God. And as he begins to reflect back on that, he says to God, all things are possible with you. It's his thankfulness for all that God is capable of doing that gives him confidence to cry out to God and to call on God and say, God, this situation is difficult for me. I mean, think about this. For, for, for Jesus, he had no doubt about the possibilities of God. But for his disciples, there was, uh, they struggled. They put God in a box. And in Jesus's ministry, as they were spending time with him, he began to kind of break down the barriers and expand the boundaries of the box that they had put God in. I mean, Jesus calls on God, he turns water into wine. Their boundaries, their box gets bigger. 
He raises people back to life. He heals the lame. He makes the blind to see. And as he's doing this, the boundaries and the expectations that the disciples had of God himself are shattered. But Jesus's expectations never had to be expanded. He was always there. He understood it. And so he's thinking, he's, he's recognizing God, everything with you is possible. <clears throat> you know, in our lives with where we find ourselves, even right now, there's so much that burdens us. And we have this tendency, and I think it's one of the most potentially destructive things about our society and our culture right now, because we already were burdened with life. But now we have cell phones we carry with social media accounts that are active. And oftentimes the thing we spend the first part of our day and the last part of our day looking at and investing time in is everything that's on social media. And you jump onto Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or maybe you're still on MySpace. And you're reading stories after story after story of the heartache and the pain and the turmoil that's going on in our world. You hear about another tragedy. You hear about another unfortunate account encounter of racial tension and injustice. You hear about another polarizing election events. You hear about a failed Christian leader. You hear about the miscarriage. You hear about the cancer diagnosis. You hear about the death. You hear about all these difficult things and on and on and on and on it goes. And what's important for us to see today is that Jesus doesn't start there. He starts with adoration for his father that leads to a place where he recognizes who his father is and what that means for him. And it leads him to a place of thanksgiving. And as he begins to think about that, it sets him up to begin to see his circumstances differently. You see, I think it's important for us to understand this. Our best praying, the best prayer life that you and I can have in any situation will come not from a thorough examination of our circumstances, but from a thorough thorough exaltation of the character of God. It sets us up in a place. We don't need to spend all of our time explaining to God all the things that we're going through. We don't need to spend all of our time trying to tell him what our plan is. We don't need to spend all of our time asking him to assist us in this life. Our bulk of our prayer time needs to be spent on connecting with who he is and who he wants to be in our lives. And it puts us in a place to begin to find strength. And it puts us in a healthy place of supplication. That's the fourth part. Adoration, celebrate who God is. Confession, recognizing who we are and where it doesn't match up with who God wants us to be because he wants something better for us, which leads us to a place of thanksgiving. Celebrating all that he's done. And as I begin to look back and I begin to think of all the work that God has done prior to my first breath on this earth, and then even some of the things that I've experienced in my own life, it leads me to a place where I have confidence in God's ability. And I find contentment and what God is going to do and how the story ends. And it sets me up for supplication. Jesus says, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, not what I will, but what you will. I'm so intrigued by this because in this part of Jesus's prayer, you see the humanity of Jesus collide with the divinity of Jesus. I mean, the humanity of Jesus in this moment, he's saying, I want to avoid this painful situation that is in front of me. And if any possibility, I would love for this just to go away. But then you see his divinity willingly participating in what God is calling him to do, which is an eternal 
plan for redemption for all mankind. And I love what Hebrews says about the joy that Jesus endured as he looked to the cross. This is looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That doesn't make sense to me. How did Jesus see that as joyful? Well, because he understood. He began to see from God's perspective. But it gives me hope that I can ask and that I have permission to ask for things that I feel like I need. Jesus does that. He says, take this cup from me. We have permission. We have the ability to say to God, God, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't want this in my life, God. I can't handle this heartache. I don't, I don't know what's going on with um, the difficulty in trying to find this next job. God, I'm struggling. God, I want you to do this. God, I'm asking you to do this. It's okay to call on God and ask him these things. Jesus did it. So it gives me permission to do that, but it also gives me direction because clearly God expects us to ask because throughout scripture, you see instances of God's people calling out to him and God coming through with answered prayer. But it's interesting, it doesn't always happen the way that we want it to happen. So not only does it give me permission to ask, but it gives me direction. And the direction is ultimately not my will, but God, your will. You notice with Jesus, this wasn't like a reluctant thing that he chose to do. He leaves this moment of connection with his heavenly father. After he expresses his desires, he expresses his needs, and he walks away from it with a boldness, with a joyful, expectant embrace of the circumstances ahead of him. I mean, I can't wrap my mind around that. It's bizarre to me what he does. I wonder what it would look like for us in these days to practice these things. So that's what I'm calling you and challenging you and myself to do this week is just to begin to practice this, carving out time in our day in the morning or in the evening, maybe getting up a little bit earlier because you're like, man, my day is full. I promise you, this will give you more strength than the extra 10 or 15 minutes of sleep that you feel like you have to have. God will work in this as we adore who he is, we celebrate who he is, and we can take that time to agree with him with what he wants for our lives. We thank him for what he's done so that we have confidence for what he wants to do, which leads us to a place of supplication, bringing our concerns and our cares to him. It leaves us with one last step to kind of land our time together all in the same place. Look at this last verse. Get up, let's go. Behold, the one who is betraying me is near. Jesus spends more than an hour praying and he comes back to his disciples who, if you know the story, they've fallen asleep. They weren't even able to do the the little things that Jesus had asked them to do in this moment. But he comes back and he says, get up, let's go. He's saying, the time is here. What time is he talking about? He's talking about his betrayal. He's talking about his arrest. Jesus in this moment, after talking to God, saying, I know what you're leading me to do. I don't want to do this, but God, I trust you. Because I trust you, I'm willing to do this. It's the same call for us to live a life of full surrender. You want to find some strength in 2020? Invite others to pray with you. Pray like Jesus prayed. And then live a life of full surrender what Jesus did. And it's interesting, in this moment, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, right before his death 
on the cross, calls on the disciples to do something, and they failed to do it, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. What's interesting to me is that Jesus goes through with everything that he went through, and at the end of that, you read the book of Acts, and all of a sudden, these disciples are living differently. They're living with a boldness, with a courage, with a tenacity, not for their agenda, not for their uh, approval, not for their own celebration, but because they want to see God's will. They want to see God's kingdom advanced in the world that they're in. And we are the result of that. The ones who fail to pray in the garden are the ones who are the heroes of our faith. And they're the reason that you and I get to sit here and worship Jesus today. What happened? What, what took place to, to create that? They watched Jesus. They saw what Jesus did all through Acts. You see Jesus, you see the disciples praying like Jesus prayed. And I just began to think back to that, think back to the example of Jesus. Jesus knew that the safest place to be was where God wanted him to be, even if it resulted in death. And so when he's arrested, he doesn't try to retaliate or fight back. When he's beaten and whipped, he doesn't make it stop. When the crown of thorns is put on his head, he didn't take it off. When he was mocked and spit on, he didn't make anybody stop. And he had all the power to do that. But he continued to press through with strength, with joy before him. It doesn't make sense. In a moment of despair and pain physically, he recognizes that his mother is devastated. And so he pauses and he looks at John. He says, John, I need you to take care of my mom. And he says, mom, John's got you. You're going to be Okay. He gets to the cross and as his lungs are filling with fluid and blood, he spends the last moments gasping, providing hope and encouragement for the thief on the cross next to him, promising him eternal life. And in his last final moments, he's speaking forgiveness for those responsible for his death. The disciples saw this. They were witnesses of this. And it did something in them because they recognized that they were responsible for his death. But they'd also seen the example and they wanted to live in the same strength that Jesus provided that they could live in. And the same is true for us. And so where I want us to land today as we've done some more recently is at a place of communion. To remember exactly what Jesus did willingly, trusting his heavenly father to do what you and I couldn't do. And notice around where you're sitting, or as you came in, you were, you were given the communion elements, the bread and the cup. The band's gonna come out. We're gonna end our time together today remembering Jesus. And as you take communion, I want you to reflect on the words to the song, simple but strong. I believe God wants to do great things in our lives this year, but we've gotta surrender our life to him first. And so maybe today is the opportunity for you to do that. You've never really decided to trust him. Listen, before you can celebrate who he is, before you can celebrate his death, his body that was broken for you through communion, you've got to surrender your life. You can't celebrate his lordship if you're not willing to make him lord of your life. Would you make him lord of your life today? The boss, let him call, you, call the shots. Let him show you how to live. There's strength there. There's strength for these days. There's strength for this new year. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to be in this place. I thank you for these days. 
God, there's been so much good. You've taught us so much about ourselves and about you. God, give us the discipline. Give us the awareness to pray specifically, to recognize you as our heavenly father, to understand that your ways are better than our ways. God, that we would live with gratitude for all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you're going to do and that that would give us confidence in who you are, confidence in these days. God, would you do miracles? We pray that you would work in our lives and that you would make it obvious that you are work in our lives. We know that you are still interested. We know that you are close. We know that you are with us. You sent Jesus to make that possible. So right now in this moment, we celebrate that. We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate your love for us. And so would you just continue to speak as we remember, as we celebrate. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.